Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Danielle Bernock. She is an award-winning author, a trauma-informed faith-based self-love coach, and the founder of 4F Media. Welcome, Danielle. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I'm really excited to have you here, and I'm looking forward to jumping in and sharing with the audience about all the beautiful light that you shine out into the world through the work you do. So with that being said, let's jump right in. As mentioned, you are an award-winning author. You are a trauma-informed faith-based self-love coach. I would love to know, I mean, you have one hell of a resume. It's exhausting just thinking about all the things that you do and all the hats you wear. How on earth do you find the time for all of this? And how do you prioritize? And how important is prioritization and organization to you? That's a lot of questions. Uh (laughs) How do I find the time? I make the time. Prioritization is extremely important because my highest priority is my family. And it takes intention to put that in front of my work. So I do prioritize things. What I do has a high priority as well. So I just, I find the time for it. One of my coaching clients, every time she sees me now, she's like, how do you find the time to do what you do? (laughs) I'm exhausted watching you. (laughs) There you go. See? (laughs) So I'm very curious then with you wearing so many hats, what does your morning routine look like? Oh, I have a very structured morning routine. I've been doing the same thing for years. In fact, I can't remember when I started it. It has morphed over the years, but for many years, I get up in the morning and I have a little exercise program I do, which involves stretching and sit-ups and various other things, which I've added to over the years as I've reached a certain age and I learned something that this happens to people when they get older. Well, what can I do to augment that? How can I do to mitigate that? What can I do to address that? So I do this little exercise routine every morning. I have time. I spend time with God. I spend time in prayer. I have a certain song I listen to every morning that feeds my soul. I do a three-minute quiet meditation, which I added a few years ago. It's a very structured, which there's room for adaptation and change. And sometimes I read, sometimes I do this, that, the other thing. But the basic thing, I do the same exercise program and I have my coffee. (laughs) Of course, got to have the coffee. (laughs) Every morning. So that's my basic routine. Is it a non, like, are there, are they all non-negotiables for you in that routine? Like, or are there certain things that are definitely non-negotiables and then others you can shift around and whatnot? Well, it's not like it's a law to Mm -hmm. me, but it's Mm -hmm. more like a pleasant habit. Yeah. 
it's non-negotiable because I like it and I know it's good for me. My exercise routine, I do every day, no matter where I am, on vacation, anywhere. One thing I forgot to mention was one of the things I added to that is I do weights. I do hand okay. weights. Yeah. I added those little by little. I started with one pounders, then five pounders, then 10 pounders, then 15, and I do 20 pounders. And I do all of them every day. And when I go on vacation, if I'm driving, I take them with me. So that is something that I hold to. If I fly, you, you can't take all those of weights course, on the plane with you. <laughs> want to make sure they have those or how long, because it took a long time to add all those weights. And if you go too long a time, then you have to kind of start over again. But you can go yeah. a few days and it doesn't change everything. You know, my time with God, that's non-negotiable. I need that like I need air. So And coffee, how right? I, yeah. <laughs> and how I do that varies too. My husband and I like to say we're a little bit of like coffee snobs because we drink flavored coffee. Okay. I don't like Starbucks. Nothing against Starbucks. It's just to me, it's like, it's way too strong. I can't drink okay. it. But I drink my coffee black Yeah, and I, we drink flavored coffee. So we order coffee online and stuff like that. So when I go on vacation and we have coffee in the room, it's a little bit of an adjustment, <laughs> that little coffee maker and it's plain, but I deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do? Oh, my passion to help people, how much my life has changed. And knowing how happy I am compared to how miserable I was and to help others embrace that same change, to let go of misery, to deal with the things they need to deal with and to embrace a much more fulfilled life, one that has joy and happiness. No life is perfect. I don't peddle perfection in any way. But you can enjoy your life if you deal with things. And I am just driven to help other people because I'm just so thankful for my life now. Beautiful. And so what did you do in your previous life for a career before making the jump into entrepreneurship and what facilitated that transition for you? Before that, I was primarily a stay-at-home mom. It's interesting. I get together with a friend and we pray together every week. And just this past week, we were talking about how many different various kinds of jobs I've held over the years that are, my very first job was a cashier at the local pharmacy. And I worked at a place called Cow to Car, which you drive through and there was a door on either side. I was the <laughs> cashier there and worked at this boot and jacket shop where no one ever came in. So I wonder if it was a front for some laundering thing. <laughs> and I, we moved to Arizona for a little bit. And that was my first corporate kind of job. I worked for a roofing company. I've sold merchant services, all kinds of things. But most of the time I was a stay-at-home mom until my kids left the nest. And I struggled then actually with empty nest. I can own that now. When it was happening, I felt ashamed of that because right. I wasn't healed of my trauma yet. But I struggled with that when we lived in Arizona was my transitional time primarily then. And I got that job. I worked at a place called Limelight Networks and I absolutely loved that job. And then we moved back here to Michigan. My husband's mother was ill. She had Alzheimer's among other things. We had just buried his dad and uh, one of my kids lived far away and I still hadn't completely adjusted to owning my own life because I had been so invested in my children and focused on them due to the trauma in my past. I didn't want to traumatize them. So I was highly focused in my parenting. So it was hard. I had to, I had to rediscover who I was, that I was a person with my own life and with my own things. And Arizona really helped a lot with that, especially with that job I loved so much. But when yeah. it came back here, it's like, well, what am I going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that helped facilitate that is 
after my father-in-law died, my mother-in-law ended up in assisted living and we had to go through their condo and get rid of all of their things and clean up the place and all that way of dealing with that. And so I prepared the condo for sale because I just, I love to paint. I'm part artist, but I also love to paint walls, which I know a lot of people are like, oh my goodness, don't make me paint. <laughs> no, I hate, oh, you could oh, forget it. I no love way. painting. I love painting. And I rediscovered that when I was prepping her condo for sale because I rehabbed it. I did the whole rehab myself of the condo. I was like, wow, maybe I could do this. So that's when I started my LLC. It was called Refresh Custom Painting because to refresh a place and to do things like that. And that's when I started, went into entrepreneurship with that. And I did a little bit of that. I got my liability insurance and all that jazz and done lettering on walls and things. But then I started getting uncomfortable because I'm a one-man band and I'm female and I'm going to go into strangers' houses. And there's all kinds of dangers with that. Right. So I pulled back from that. I'm like, I don't think I I need references. I'm not going to paint anyone's house unless I get references. But in there, I started writing a book. And then when I was going to go publish the book, that's when 4F Media was born. Because I self-published my book myself with very much intention, did not even try to get a traditional publisher because they would buy my story And I didn't want to sell my story. It's my story. If they own my story, then they can change my story. They own it. And I'm like, no. So that's when 4F Media was born. Refresh Custom Painting was born in 2013. And in 2014, I established the DBA of 4F Media so that I could publish my first book. Now, I want to speak a little bit about your coaching, Danielle. I've heard a lot of people, a lot of women that I've spoken to, most if not all coaches go through and have been through their own personal struggles. And I mean, we're human beings. We've all been through and have our own shit. Everybody does. We're human (laughs) beings. But what I found though, is that for most of the women I've spoken with who are now coaches, their personal struggles were the catalyst that propelled them into the coaching field, the coaching realm. Can you share a little bit about your own personal journey that you were on before making the leap into becoming a coach? Oh, certainly. My whole story is about healing from trauma. I am a multiple childhood trauma survivor. It was through writing that first book of mine, Emerging with Wings, that I really broke into more of being an entrepreneur than the painting. That's what changed everything. That book is what changed everything. I had to take great courage to put that out there. The second half of the book I learned while I was writing the book. So releasing it to the world was absolutely terrifying to me. I wasn't sure what would happen after that. I held my ideas with open hands. I created 4F Media to be the imprint for that. But I bought 10 ISBNs, not just one. (laughs) (laughs) So I was... Like I said, open hands. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with this. I'm open to it being something, terrified about it being something, but still open. And I put it out there just in a paperback. That's all. No launch party, nothing. No fanfare, (laughs) (laughs) nothing. But without all that fanfare, without all those things, the feedback and the response I got to that book was the catalyst of why I am what I am today. The people who texted me and emailed me and a quote that's in that book that's gone viral Hmm. really propelled me into what I'm doing. I did a second edition of the book just a few months after I released the first edition, primarily for one reason, but then there became other reasons. The primary reason was I discovered a copyright infringement in my first 
edition, okay. which horrified me because I was so anal about copyright and trademark. I did so much research. I didn't even put Mickey Mouse in the book. I called him that cartoon mouse. I mean, that's how cover my own behind I was. Yeah. So yeah. to discover that I had put something in there, which I thought was by anonymous was how it was in my mind, yeah. but it was actually from a TV program. And so it was a, a fictitious character. So to me, it wasn't real. Well, a screenwriter wrote that, duh. <laughs> <laughs> so then I re-released it, took that out. I got endorsements for the book. Still no big launch party, but a little bit more. And after that, I felt compelled that I really, if my book is making a difference in people's lives, I need to care about getting into it into more people's hands. I need to right. spread my message. So I started doing research about that discovered this article that says every book needs a blog. I didn't know what a blog was. So then I had to research what is that. And then I started into the whole writing aspect. Coaching didn't come until much later. Coaching didn't come until just before I released my most recent book, Because You Matter. It was just like a natural progression of things. Just another way that I can reach people and do it one-on-one. -on -one have a conversation yeah. with them to have the feedback instead of just over the miles through online and books, which is great and wonderful, especially dealing with trauma. Sometimes people need to just, they need to start in the place of privacy where no one else is there, but then sure. they need accountability. They need someone to talk to go forward. Can you share what that quote was from your first book? Oh, because with trauma is personal. When people put me on the spot, I generally go blank, but I know what page it's on. So I can flip <laughs> to it right away. And read it to you. Okay, perfect. It's trauma is personal. It does not disappear if it is not validated. When it is ignored or invalidated, the silent screams continue, internally heard only by the one held captive. When someone enters the pain and hears the screams, healing can begin. Wow, that is powerful. Thank you very much for sharing that, Danielle. You're it's welcome. It's, it's been in multiple books and PowerPoints of people. I find it brochures on websites wow. all over the place. Just hundreds, thousands, I don't even know, translated into different languages. I, I saw it incredible. translated into Turkish. <laughs> wow. And so how have these experiences helped shape the Danielle you are today, both personally and professionally, do you think? In every way. I would not be who I am today without those. When people talk about, if you could go back and start over, would you? No, I wouldn't because I wouldn't be who I am today without all those things. So what was the biggest or most valuable takeaway or lesson for you as a result of your experiences? I would say ownership, learning about ownership and the difference between ownership and responsibility. There's a quote that I just love by Carol Burnett. Okay. Only I can change my life. No one can do it for me. Mm -hmm. And then the courage to actually do that. <laughs> yeah. It takes a lot of courage. It definitely does. That's a huge mindset shift for people mm -hmm. and Especially stepping into it. Trauma, people can become victim mindset, which is why I focus on victorious souls to have a victor mindset instead of a victim mindset. Love that. Love that. <laughs> what excites or lights you up the most about the work that you do, Danielle? Aha moments in my clients and students. Aha moments when the light goes on and it brings about change 
and something that just brought me so much delight when I'm going to start crying because it touched me so deeply. One of my clients, she'd been with me, went through many of my things I have to offer. And she wrote me and said, thank you so much for all you have done with me, done for me and helped me, but I don't need you anymore. Wow. I mean, I helped someone so much that they don't need me anymore. It's like the bird leaving the nest, right? Yeah. It was wonderful. It was really wonderful. It was sad to to have that parting because I love her dearly. Yeah. But that I empowered someone that much that they could say, thank you so much. I'm going to go out on my own now. Thank you. (laughs) That is massive and so beautiful and a testament to who you are and what you offer your clients. Thank you for sharing that, Danielle. What is it that sets you and the work you do apart from other coaches? Why would they choose to work with you over someone else? Well, two things that I offer together that I could not find when I needed it. I am faith-based and I am trauma-informed. I found there was faith-based over here and there was trauma-informed over here, but to put the two together, I could not find that. The faith-based people oftentimes are afraid of the whole trauma-informed and the psychology thing, and they call it worldly, and they warn you about, oh, my goodness, don't fall in the hole of blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) And then (laughs) the ones in the psychology, they get so lost in their head that they forget that they have a heart and that everyone has faith. I mean, I am a Christian, but even people who aren't a Christian, everyone has faith in something. Very unique offering. What would you say is your greatest strength as a coach? I believe it's because I graciously hold my clients accountable to that same thing, that ownership, that only you can change your life, but to do it with grace because you can squash someone. How has your coaching style evolved from when you first started to where you are now? Oh, I am much more confident. Like I said, when I (laughs) released that first book, my greatest fear was someone would read it. Which sounds really silly. But But on the other hand, you want everyone to read it. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But I've talked with many other authors and they feel the same way. It's a very vulnerable thing to put your work on. Even if you write fiction, are they going to like it? And you feel it's a piece of you. Yes, that's right. So I become much more confident in what I do. I'm not timid in what I do. I think that's like any artist even. I mean, you're putting a piece of you out into the world for others to see and others, they're going to pass judgment. So of course, all of that within is like, oh my God, I am standing here so vulnerable. I'm I'm putting a piece of me out in the world to be judged. Mm -hmm. It's, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of strength to do it. Yeah. What I focused on what really helped me to plant my feet was there's a lot of things I know and a lot of things I don't know. Nobody knows everything. That's but right. one thing I know that someone can't tell me otherwise is my story. Yeah. My story is my story. You can argue with me all day long. It's my story. I lived through it. You don't like it. I'm sorry. You disagree with it. I was there. You were not. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're right. I mean, all the other things can, we, are peripheral. I can learn right. things in that. We could argue about that. Well, no, you don't. Well, I know my story. <laughs> yes. Well, no one else in the world is you, right? And no one else have has lived your experience. Right. So- you put it out there, it's not going to, it's just, again, it's just, it, it's like as a writer, you're an artist, as a painter, you're an artist, a photographer, all of these things, you're not going to resonate with everybody. Right. You are not for everybody and everybody is not for you. So I think that once we get into that mindset and we're able to adapt that mindset, that will help so massively with mm-hmm. when you are putting yourself out there in that way and putting your vulnerability out there by sharing Whatever it is, your art, your opinion, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But once you can get into that mindset, that is a huge help. 
for sure. I think it's real important for people to know they can't reach everyone. That's right. When someone starts their enthusiasm, they desire to reach everyone. And it makes sense. Yeah. But you have to be realistic. And mm-hmm. my business coaches have really helped me with that. It's like, no, you can't reach everyone. You really need to niche into who are you talking to? <laughs> yeah. And your vibe will find your tribe. They'll attract, yeah. it'll attract your tribe and your people will come in. And that's what you got to believe in, right? And right. keep that up here always. Because mm-hmm. right. it is a battle. I mean, self-confidence, I mean, it's going to, the issues with self-confidence, imposter syndrome, self-doubt, that's going to creep in. We're human beings. It's going right. to happen from time to time. We never get past that point where we're able to say, okay, I'm good now. None of these things bother me anymore. It's impossible. We are humans. We are always and constantly right. evolving. So it's right. going to come up from time to time. Even if we it's think just, it won't, because well, we go through those things of, oh yeah, yeah. I'm done with that. No. No. <laughs> then reality no, comes no. and slaps you in the face <laughs> yeah, again. That's okay. right. The okay. universe oh, hits human. you with that two human, by four. Human, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are the three most important lessons you've learned in your career as a trauma-informed self-love coach? One thing I think is crucial for any coach to know is if your client is not ready to make any changes, you can't make them. They have to be ready. You can't force them to be ready. So if they're not ready, just don't even move forward. It's like, if you're not ready, don't even start. I can't like back to that. Only I can change my life. Only you can change your life. I can coach you, but if you are not going to own your side, I can't help you. That's part of my contract. I don't guarantee what my client is going to do because I don't know what my clients. No, it's impossible. You can't promise things like that. Right. And another thing is you have to have a good vet, not just I can help them, but do I work for them or do they work for me? I mean, both sides have to feel comfortable. It has to be a good fit on both sides. It's a give and take thing. It's not about me as the coach. It's also about the person who is being coached. So it's imperative that both sides have to feel like it's a good. And that speaks to integrity. Then the other thing is that I'm worth charging money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My time is worth money. I have a valuable service to offer. And I don't need to feel guilty about that, especially being in the faith-based circles. A lot of faith-based circles think you need to do everything for free. Things cost money. I have bills to pay. People pay for things in what I do is valuable and it is worth the money that I charge. Exactly. Well, you've honed your skills over the years. You've put in the time. It's just like anything, right? Of course, you deserve to be paid for your time and for your skill set and the lessons and the knowledge that you've garnered over the years, for sure. I've had quite a few conversations as of late about self-love and the importance of it and the fact that everything, absolutely everything in this life starts with the foundation of self. Everything starts here within us, and then it ripples out to everyone else. So with that being said, and what you've been through personally, what are a couple of tips or takeaways that listeners can, that you could provide that listeners can implement immediately to start on their journey into self-love? The first thing I bring up when talking about self-love or the inverse, self-hatred, the lack of self-love, is if a person doesn't love themselves, there's a reason why. Babies aren't born hating themselves. They're like, the world revolves around me, serve me, feed me, change (laughs) me, everything. I am God. No, you're not. You're just a baby. You just think you're God. (laughs) (laughs) So we come from that kind of an origin to we hate ourselves. Something went terribly wrong. I believe it's crucial to find out what. Because if you don't find out what, then you're doing behavior modification. You're slapping a Band-Aid on a wound. I have a little seven-day 
course, audio course only on my website. It's only $27 to help people get to the bottom of that. Why? Why don't you love yourself? And to incite them and challenge them, it's called a challenge, to challenge them, I use the word dare, to incite them to start loving, to think about, to consider, to entertain the thought. Because we have to start with as small as where we're at. We have to merge into it. We can't just slap it on. I love myself. I love myself. You can't just start doing that in a week. You're going to say you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. So I believe it has to start with your why. Why don't you love yourself? Now, obviously, you are a huge advocate for self-love. So I want to speak a little bit about that. What, in your opinion, is the difference? Because we hear self-love, self-care, all of these words get tossed around. So what is the difference, in your opinion, between self-love and self-care? I want to throw a third one in there. Okay, sure. (laughs) Self-compassion. Self-love is how you see yourself. It's to see yourself with value and to see yourself as worthy of being taken care of. It's your view. Self-love is your view of yourself. Self-compassion is how you act toward yourself. It's to employ that love in your behavior to have compassion on yourself. You're a human. You're going to fall down. You're going to do things wrong. And to have compassion on yourself, that's love in the action form. And self-care is the way in which you go about doing that, your practices, your habits, the things that you do to practice that out. Thank you for sharing that. Now, let's speak a little bit more about your writing. We've touched briefly on a couple of the books that you've written. So can you tell us about the books you've written, the titles, and your journey into the world of becoming an, uh, a best-selling author? Well, as I said earlier, Emerging with Wings is my first book. The subtitle is A True Story of Lies, Pain, and the Love That Heals. It's my story of getting free from childhood trauma and finding my value. I wrote it like a love story, so it has a hero, a villain, and the person overcoming. So it takes the reader on a journey so they can put themselves in that position to go in that same journey themselves. After that, I wrote a book called Love's Manifesto. It's available only in audio and PDF at my website for free. I do not sell it. It's 10 minutes long, the audio, so it's short. And it's What is Love? why we don't believe it, and what it takes to convince us. Because love is the core of my message. That is my core message of everything that I do is about love. The third book that I wrote is A Bird Named Pain. It's P-A-Y-N. It's a play on words. It's an allegory. It's also short, available in Kindle and audio. It's dealing with the complex emotions when you have a loved one with Alzheimer's. It's my journey of going through Alzheimer's with my mother-in-law. It was devastating. We hear about all these awful diseases out there, and we know they're awful, and we don't say they're not. But when we walk with someone going through that, it becomes much more real, and you understand the magnitude of awfulness that it can be. Alzheimer's is, it's... I don't have a word big enough for how awful it is. And I know that different people go through it in different ways. But walking with my mother-in-law was excruciatingly painful. I had a very difficult time processing all the emotions. I was having breakdowns, emotional breakdowns because of it. And I struggled with how to deal with all these complex emotions. And God gave me a gift one day after coming home from seeing her in the assisted living place, just this story just came to me. And when I came home, I just sat down at my computer and just wrote it out and then honed it a little bit. But real quickly, and what I needed to do, and this is something that 
is what I do with my clients too. And trauma workers do is we have to give what we're dealing with a name. We name it and we can simplify it. We take this big, huge, ambiguous cloud of misery. And if we can bind it inside a word, we make it smaller and we make it manageable. And that's what a bird named pain is about doing that. I had the revelation that all the complex emotions I was dealing with, even though they were there were many and buried them, they all could fall underneath the classification of they all hurt. They were all painful. Yeah. I was in a lot of soul pain. And so that with the bird named pain is an allegory for those emotions of the painful emotions and how to manage them so that you can go forward like that. And then my newest book is because you matter how to take ownership of your life so you can really live. It's a self-help book of how to take your life back when you have been through something that has tried to destroy you because most people have, I mean, the whole world has been through what's called a trauma exposure, which is a situation, an opportunity to be traumatized. So two people can go through the same thing and one person be traumatized and someone else not. That's why trauma is personal. So in between the chapters of this book, I have stories of 10 other people and 10 other different kinds of trauma that are different than mine because my first book is my story. Because You Matter is how to take back your emotions, take ownership of your emotions, of your mind, of your pain, of your courage and different aspects of your life. But then between are these stories of how these people took ownership of their life, how they came back from losing everything in a house fire, how they came back from PTSD, how they came back from almost dying, how they came back from being born with cerebral palsy and being told that they would never walk, let alone what they have done with their life, which is blow your mind phenomenal. So these stories are impactful because people, we love stories. Yes. We, you know, we need to know how to do something, but we'll get bored with how-tos. So when we have an example to help illustrate how do we do this, then it can be more powerful. And I have some new things in the works. I don't have them quite ready out there yet, but I, I do have some new things in the works. So. Excellent. Now, you touched briefly. We talked a little bit about 4F Media. Can you tell us a bit about the company? what the mission is and the inspiration behind starting it? Well, as I said earlier, I started it with writing my first book. The mission statement of 4F Media is exposing the truth of emotional trauma, breaking the barriers to recovery. Because I take the faith-based and the science, we need to put the two together, gather them together, simplify them. So I call it an amalgamation of putting them together together. Science and psychology can use these big words that people can get lost in. You know, your prefrontal cortex and that <laughs> sympathetic nervous system and the asympathetic nervous system and the amygdala. And you're like, great, I'm going to go take a nap now. Let me know when you're talking English again. <laughs> so I simplify. I'm a simplifier. My first book was simple. I didn't even know you were supposed to write a book at like a fifth grade reading level. And that's how people like to read. I learned that after the fact, and I just wrote it that way. Yeah. Because simple is good. We can assimilate it. I do not enjoy reading books when I need a dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> You're also the host of a podcast. Can you tell us about the podcast? What is the theme or subject matter? Is it interview style? Is it solo episodes? Mix of both. And what inspired you to start a podcast? Another whole collection of questions. Yep. My podcast is Victorious Souls. I'm in my third season. 
I had thought of starting a podcast for a long time, never did. And I'm like, well, I don't even listen to them. How can I do one? <laughs> but I had an accountability partner at the time and she was pushing me into listening to podcasts. And I finally did learn, you don't have to listen to the whole hour at one time. Wow. Epiphany of the obvious. Because <laughs> I'm thought you would have to do that because I'm very driven in certain ways. So it's like if I start something, I'm finishing it. But you could do things in bite-sized pieces. And I saw the value of it. I enjoyed the ones I was listening to. I'm like, well, how would I do it? There's all these different kinds. I don't like them being so long, but I see the value in that. So I started listening to different ones and studying the different ways they are done, the different styles that are out there. And I found one I really appreciated and enjoyed. And I said, I can do that. (laughs) And so I began it. I do... Facebook Lives. When I first started, I did all my interviews live on Facebook. Okay. And then I would download them and put them on my podcast and also do Facebook Lives just me. It's a combination of solo ones that are short, five yeah. to 10 minutes long, mm-hmm. and then interviews half hour to an hour, depending. Okay. But then Facebook got weird and all that, and I don't do them live on Facebook anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I do Facebook Lives, the short ones. But I don't do the interviews that way anymore. Ran into too many technology glitches with that. But I'm in my third season. Like I said, I have the short ones. They're just encouragement things, teaching things about trauma or about overcoming adversity. And then interviews of people all around the world of how they have overcome something in their life. And they're thriving. They go from surviving to thriving. One of my taglines is love yourself from survive to thrive. Also call myself that lady on the internet who loves you. That began a couple of years ago as well, because my message is love and people need to hear that. So that's my focal point is empowering and loving people. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful, Danielle? A couple things. One is I don't give up easily. Maybe it's a good kind of stubbornness. Yeah. (laughs) Good kind of stubbornness. But then you use that word superpower. And I really like that something that I talk about and I write about. Because we all have this superpower. If we recognize it, then we can access it. There's a man named Viktor Frankl. He wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning. He was in the Holocaust and concentration camps. They took everything away from him. And he calls what I call the superpower, he calls it man's last freedom. He said, they can take everything away from you, but they cannot take away from you your choice on how to respond. I mean, we have to be present in the moment and we have to be aware that we have this choice, but it is something that no one can take from us. It's something we can give up. It's something that we can fail to recognize, but it is something that we have. And this is something I work on honing in my life and encouraging in my clients, my students' life, listeners on my podcast to own How do you respond? You can't control how people treat you. You can't control what happens in your life, but you do have the ability to choose how to respond. Absolutely. Very important to note that. Thank you. Speaking of success, Danielle, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? I would like to compare it to the word wealth because people think of wealth and success to money. Both times they think success and wealth is money. It does incorporate money. Money is a part of being wealthy. It is a part of being successful. But that is too limiting. True wealth is having satisfaction in your soul. True wealth is having health so that if you have money, you can actually spend it (laughs) and not on doctors. Wealth is having joy and peace in your life. And success is the same thing. 
having a life that's well lived, empowering others, enjoying your life, making a difference in the world. And it's well-rounded. It's not just one thing. So to me, success is a big, huge thing that takes a lot of work to get because if we get distracted on any one of them, it can take that success away. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? What was your life like after you learned it? I would say unconditional love. Unconditional love. I grew up feeling unloved. I was a believer as a child, but I have religious trauma in there. So then I didn't even think God loved me. In fact, I thought he didn't love me and loved everybody else but me. (laughs) I felt unlovable and no one could love me. Didn't no unconditional love was really a thing. There was always conditional love. We love you when, we love you if, we love you for, you know, there was always the other shoe. There was always a reason. There was always a cause. You had to earn it. But when I discovered unconditional love, everything changed because it's validating to a person's life, to who they are, to their whole core of their meaning that I have value, inherent value. You who are listening, you have inherent value. You are loved right there, right now, without condition, because you matter, because you're breathing. And I've learned that this unconditional love originates from God, but I didn't always believe that. And I understand why a lot of people don't, because like I said, religious trauma is part of my story. And there's even documentaries out there about other people who have suffered under such things as that. But learning that it's really a thing and experiencing it empowers a person to be able to give it as well. If you can receive something, then you have it to give. And if you've never received it, you don't have it to give. No, exactly. Who in your life, Danielle, has had the biggest impact on you and why? My husband, Michael, because he is the first one where I tasted unconditional love. He has a whole chapter in my first book, Emerging with Wings. It was a huge turning point in my life. He was a gift from God. Supernaturally, it's quite the story in my book of how that happened. It will make you laugh. We laughed. It's really a little bit bizarre. Is this really happening? I don't believe it and I'm living it. (laughs) So my husband. What does the word empowerment mean to you? To simply is to give power to others, but to use other words, because I always don't like when you use the same word to define a word. (laughs) It's to give someone a boost. It's to lift them up. I was at the library the other day, the Romeo, Michigan library. They had a sculpture in there and it was titled, She Ain't Heavy. It was a little boy who is lifting up a little girl for her to reach an apple in a tree. That's empowerment. Love it. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? I have far too many to say one. I have been blessed in so many ways. Unexpectedly, my husband was an unexpected thing in my life. I was not going to get married. I was done with men. I'm like, forget men. I'm never getting married, (laughs) never having kids, nothing. So that was an unexpected blessing in my life. Unexpectedly reconnected with my mom and was very close with her. I got to be with her when she passed. We're living in a house that is paid for. That's an unexpected blessing. I have six grandchildren. I wasn't going to get married and have kids. I get six. I mean, I could be here. I could the list goes on the rest and on. Of the and on. Yes, yes, <laughs> it goes on and on. I, I am so grateful. So grateful. I have a gratefulness practice I do every day. I just, I am so grateful. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three word answer type thing, okay? 
I'll try. <laughs> I believe in you. I can do it. How would you describe yourself in one word? Oh, like I said, when I started, I don't think we all can describe ourselves by one word. <laughs> but the first word that came to me was deep. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? Caution under construction. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> if you could be remembered for one thing, what would that one thing be? Loving well. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? <laughs> and I read your question here. My mind went off to a song from an old <laughs> Coke commercial. <laughs> I want uh, yes, to teach the world to sing. <laughs> I remember that commercial. Oh, yes. I'm like, oh, yes. I don't know that I can teach the whole world. I mean, how many of us have been trying to teach the world? And we all want world peace and I want the people to know God. But I mean, it's like everybody's trying to teach the world. So one person at a time. What is your favorite self-care practice? My three-minute quiet meditation. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? My passion to grow. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> I did pretty good, didn't I? <laughs> you did very good. I'm impressed. You did very good. Give yourself a pat on the back, a round of applause. You deserve it. There you go. I love it. What challenge in your life has shaped you the most, Danielle? Oh, the trauma I've been through. The big, fat pile of trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the big T. Uh, no, it's not. See, I don't separate into big T and little T. That's mm. part. I do workshops, and one of them is trauma-informed self. And big T, little T, I come against, not come against that. I'm not like, I don't agree with that because it causes comparison, and trauma is personal. Okay. And if someone has a what other people call little T, like, oh, it was a little T, it doesn't matter. Only the big T's matter. No. If you cut off your leg slowly, or you cut it off in three seconds, your leg's still cut off. That's right. Yeah, you're right. So I, I don't separate that. I had complex trauma, multiple various kinds over a long period of time. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everybody should learn at some point in their life? Oh, I love this one. I learned how to verbalize this from one of my business coaches, Carrie Oberbrunner, a little term called show up, filled up. When people go to conferences many times, they want to go to learn and they show up and they're going to go to what can they get, what thing can they get, what can they get, what they can get. But if you show up filled up, you show up to give. You show up to give, you show up to serve, you show up to be a part of the answer instead of everyone serve me, which can be very self-serving and self-centered. But if you show up filled up, you reap what you sow. Absolutely. And I believe we're all here. A big part of why we're all here is to support each other, to lift each other up, to cheerlead each other. That's We're here to be of service. To yeah. one another. Well, we need each Plain other. Yeah, it, absolutely. It serves us to serve each other. <laughs> yep, 100%. <laughs> what is something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the past year? How much I love speaking. A couple of my traumas involve speaking, and I was silenced in various different ways. And through my podcasts and my workshops and the business mentoring I've been through, I've discovered how much I like to talk. And speaking, I love speaking to people on the podcast. I've been doing so many podcast interviews and speaking engagements in my workshops. I just, I love speaking. I just, I really enjoy it. You've found your voice. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? It would be Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer just turned 80. 
I don't know if you are familiar with who Joyce Meyer is. She is a woman. She's a minister. She has a trauma background. I came to know about her probably back in the 80s when she was just going into ministry. She had a cassette tape ministry. (laughs) That's how long ago that was. (laughs) I remember cassette tapes. (laughs) I don't even know how I became aware of her. She was my first encounter with someone who knew God, but still talked about trauma. And that was just, I'd never encountered that. And even though she wasn't like trauma informed, she walked through her trauma and took us on her journey with her, though my trauma is completely different than hers. So that's why I was only helpful to a point and why I do what I do. But she was so courageous with the things that she did and being vulnerable with what she had been through and going through her journey of finding her voice, standing up to people in the church who tried to shut her down because she was female, people who kicked her out of their churches because of the things that she believed, people who didn't like how blunt she was because she would tell you like it is and you don't like it that's too freaking bad. (laughs) I appreciated that because I needed that. But the honesty, she was raw and honest. And I would love to spend time with her to look her in the eye and thank her to hear some of her stories because now she's on a much bigger stage than she was then. Years ago, I went to see her at a little church that was local around here. Now she fills stadiums. She's got millions of people. She's worldwide. She has a a nonprofit called Hand of Hope. We've helped her dig wells of water. She brings clean water to places. And what she has done is it's mind-boggling phenomenal what she has accomplished starting as a little woman in Fenton, Missouri, who was making her bed when she felt like God told her that you're going to have a worldwide ministry. And she's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So I have so much respect and honor for her. Like I said, she just turned 80. She looks great. She's been taking care of herself. And I hope she lives super duper long because she helps people in so many ways. Powerful. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? I thought it was so interesting you asked this. I wrote an article last year, I believe it was, to my younger self. I'd heard people talking about doing that and I'd never done that. What would I say? And I needed to write it out to find out what would I say? I don't know what I would say. So I wrote it out and I did it along different when this happened. And if anyone wants to read that, it's my website, daniellebernock.com on the blog section, letter to my younger self. But the bottom line was, you'll get through this. You'll get through this. Hold on. You'll get through this. Love it. Lastly, Danielle, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your people, your corner of the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? I would say, before I leave you, I want you to remember a few things. I want you to remember how much value you have, that you matter. I want you to remember that you are deeply loved no matter what. I want you to remember that I love you that God loves you, you are not alone, and help is the simplest, most powerful prayer you can say. Beautiful. Danielle, thank you so much for sharing with me and the audience a bit about your story and your journey. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. You are a true inspiration. Thank you for shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world through all the work that you do. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, and you are listening. 
I love you. Thank you. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Danielle Burnock. She is an international award-winning author, a trauma-informed faith-based self-love coach, and the founder of 4F Media. Thank you so much, Danielle. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.